Friday, January 12th, and wake up, wake up. It's a wild card wake up, not your average wake up. Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger. Good morning, Lawrence. How are you? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Today is my 54th birthday, and I overslept my alarm. So there you go. Uh, you buried the lead. Oh, well, it's the first thing you said, so I guess you didn't bury the lead. But I had no idea. Happy birthday, my man. There you go. So, uh, you know, what can I say? 54 years to this ago today, I was uh, the great Carol Kruger brought me into this world. She's no longer with us, but I thank her for it. Thank you. Well, absolutely. Oh. We all thank her for it. Happy birthday, my man. I had no idea. Uh, you are certainly a uh, you know productive member of society. So, you know, you're a good human as opposed <laughs> to the bad humans out there. Nice job, Larry, on being a good human. And when it comes to talking about the 49ers and what lies ahead, I don't know if there are any two humans better than the ones that YouTube is looking at right now. So we thank everybody for being here again this morning. It is great to have you here, whether you're watching us live or a little bit later on today throughout the wildcard weekend, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Memberships are available, but all memberships should go to Larry on his birthday today. Let's say all memberships <laughs> go to Larry Kruger on his birthday today. I mean it from the bottom of my heart, man. Happy, happy birthday. You've been, thank a, you, man. Thank you, man. A, I appreciate you. You've been a big part of my career up to this point. And this year you've played your largest role in my career uh coming over here so uh you, you've been a, a little bit of a birthday gift to me all year man so uh how about this for your birthday larry 30 days from now i really hope you get a super bowl and that's where we are we are 30 days away from the super bowl in las vegas and we both know how crucial it is that the 49ers are in that football game yeah and then you know i mean i don't know if people can tell but man i really really want this um, and it's, it's not that, you know, it's like, you know, you, you cover sports for a living, you grow kind of a little bit out of your fandom and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a giants fan. I'm a warriors fan. Um, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm also a lifelong Niners fan and we've been kind of grinding this thing. And, you know, it's like, it's one thing if you're like a warrior, like I was a warriors fan forever, but it, the years went by fast because they never really had a shot. Um, I'm a Giants fan, but you know what? The years go by because it's like, you know what? I, the, the MLB is kind of a stack cards game. Um, I, I don't expect the Giants to win, despite the fact they've won three in my lifetime now. Right, and, and, oh. and baseball's romantic. You can still have romance with baseball in losing years. I grew up a Cubs fan. I know all about it. Right, exactly. And it's like baseball. What is baseball? Baseball is getting a chance to sit outside in nice weather and listen on the radio as you're driving to your vacation destination or mow the lawn or wash the car at the little kid that your kid's game and you got your multitasking. So baseball is like a companion all summer. But football is like, you, you know, you, and especially the Niners. We you and I sat next to each other in the Super Bowl in New Orleans, and I wanted it badly then. And then, you know, we'd never experienced Super Bowl defeat. And then all of a sudden, there it was. Uh, Harbaugh gagged it away. And then I, it's like, okay, a couple of years later, here they are again, Shanahan and Lynch, and they got the Chiefs, and they're up 10 in the fourth. And you're like, you know what? They got this one. And they didn't have that one. Mahomes and Reed got that one. And so ever since, there's been this, like, Niners have got to get it done, this incredible focus and scrutiny. And you know, one year they got 20 guys on the injured reserve. Um, one year they're losing to the Rams in the NFC championship game. They never quite had the quarterback. Now they've got the head coach. Now they've got the quarterback. Now they've got the defense. Now they've got the bye. Now they've got the health. Everything's aligned and it's got to happen. And I'm starting to feel a lot of that same pressure that I'm sure the players are feeling. And I asked Kittle about it yesterday. I said, Hey, George, is there some urgency? I mean, you're 30 now, and do you feel that urgency to get it done? And he he was like, you know, I've, I felt the urgency since uh, since Miami, since the 2019 season, and I I totally um, I totally agree with him. I, I I have felt that exact urgency since that 2019 season. Shanahan and Lynch are the right combo. They finally got that right, and they've been knocking at the freaking door. Well, you know the old Bum Phillips line. Last year, we knocked at the door. This time, it's time to kick that mf -er in. And um, that's how I feel about this year's playoff run. It is time. And if they don't win in the NFC playoffs, there's going to be a lot of criticism. 
not just from guys like myself, but everybody, the fans, other content creators, the media, um, the Niners, the hardest thing to do in life, Damon, is what you're expected to do. And the Niners are expected to win in the NFC playoffs. If they lose to the Ravens or a red hot bills team or somebody else in the Super Bowl. I mean, we're all going to be pissed and disappointed, but if they don't get to the Super Bowl and they get beat by, you know, the Rams or they don't get to the Super Bowl and somehow Tampa takes them out or Detroit or an upstart young Green Bay team, there's going to be a lot of anger and a lot of uh, frustration. And so it's elation or devastation, and you just got to embrace it. And I think they have, and bring it on. Can't wait. This is going to be the most enjoyable weekend, though, because you know your team's in. You know your team's in the driver's seat, and you just get to sit back this weekend and just watch it all unfold and scout these teams and check out who's really got the momentum and who doesn't. And uh, as as Fred Warner told us yesterday, I hope everybody loses. Are <laughs> <laughs> who are you rooting for this weekend? I hope everybody loses. That's a very linebacker way to answer that question. He's not happy for victory. He only wants a defeat for his opponents. Look. It is uh, the biggest pressure cooker Kyle Shanahan's entire career could ever be put into in one month. And he's been in this pressure cooker before, but again, the ingredients weren't the same, Larry. As you pointed out, all the stars have aligned. All the stars that could possibly align on the way to trying to win a Super Bowl for a team that's supposed to. A not ahead of schedule team, but a team that has literally knocked on that door so many years in a row. Um, you know, the, the amount of NFC title games that Kyle Shanahan has been in with no Super Bowl ring to show for it officially becomes embarrassing if it gets, you know, if, if that's the way it plays out again. But get to the Super Bowl. And then I think we'll all realize any rational person would have to say, hey, any any one football game is hard to win. But we do expect them to win, too, before they get to that game. And it's because of who they are, what they've accomplished, how they're built, how they've prepared, how good Kyle is at all this. And honestly, you know, Larry, this is something that you and I have talked about, that it's a little bit of a down year for the NFC. That'll be a criticism. Well, the Niners won it all, and it was a down year for the NFC. If we're being completely honest, it is a scotch of a down year. For the NFC. I mean, I really do think that the Cowboys, you know, I don't want to say they're a toothless two seed because they can absolutely beat anybody in this tournament, but I don't yeah. think they can beat the Niners and I don't like the Ni the Lions to beat the Niners and I don't like the Eagles, nor do I like the Buccaneers to beat the Niners. Should either one of those teams show up here? I mean, two home games before the Super Bowl sounds like the Niners need to be in this Super Bowl. And when you think about just the pressure like you said, it's it's everywhere. It drips off the walls in that locker room right now. But it's a team that wants it. And I think that that is as big of a difference maker. There are teams that have that pressure fall on them, and it's it makes them uncomfortable. This team is inviting that pressure. They've been here. They want it. They haven't shied from it. And I do think that that goes into the gumbo. No doubt. I mean, um, they, you know, they're, they're, they've been close and, you know, here's the thing, 2019, they may have been a little bit of head ahead of their, of their schedule, they right? It was like, were. Yeah, I mean, it was year three for Shanahan. I think they had gone four and 12 the year prior, right? So nobody was expecting them to win it that year. And they had this incredible turnaround. Um, and then, you know, they lose to the Rams in the NFC Championship game, and they lose last year to the Eagles. Last year, I thought, was the most painful of all, Damon, because, and think about it, there is, in the playoffs, you either win and you move on, and there's elation, or you lose and you go home, and it's devastation. But last year was the worst of all time because the game was six plays in, and the distance between when the game was over and when the clock struck zero was eternal right I mean, and so we had to sit there after all that buildup knowing that we were not going to win um for so much of that game and it Death was so hard it was Death so by paper cuts yeah, it really it was, was it was so hard and, and looking back if i could if i could just say this looking back i kind of wish the niners had gone to kind of almost like the Philadelphia Eagles tush push and just hunkered down, 
put McCaffrey at quarterback and just tried to push their way to third and short and then see if Shanahan could could you know d- dial something up instead of leaning on Josh Johnson and and then and then Shanahan you know I hate to say it you know because I really do like Kyle Shanahan but he badly mismanaged that game and and you say well Krug what do you mean exactly well not challenging the play early not being ready to challenge right from the anthem and the challengeable play you never know where it's going to come up it came up super early and so my thought thought was the same as the game right and my thought was the same as everybody else's ah it's too early to waste your challenge right and just let the game settle in but that's not always the way the football gods lay it out there so they he didn't challenge there. mistake number one i don't think it was a mistake to block Hassan Reddick with a with a backup tight end. I think that's Monday morning quarterbacking. But what it was a mistake was when they got the ball back down seven right before halftime, and you've got Josh Johnson there. The 49ers should have embraced a seven-point deficit in that game. Why? Because that means they're one score away from tying the game. And instead, they should have lengthened the game. They should have um, you should have sat on the ball at the end of the first half and hoped that they could lengthen the game and stay within that score. Instead, he felt urgency to score, backed up on his own, you know, whatever with Josh Johnson, his third string quarterback, and he put he he you know Johnson throws the pick, they turn it over, if Eagles go up a touchdown, they should have been way more conservative and and um, in that situation with Johnson. Instead, they kind of they were more aggressive at the end of the first half in the NFC Championship game with Josh Johnson than they were the week prior with Brock Purdy against the Dallas Cowboys on their home field. They were very conservative against Dallas. They got really aggressive against Philly. Shanahan, I just think, kind of played it wrong. Whatever. They probably weren't going to win anyway. It all leads us to this year. Now is the 49ers' time. And this is not about the Packers are about the future. Detroit's about the future. The Rams are about the future. Uh, the Niners are about the present. Right. And 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 I think that that's going to show itself. Well, and look, the Rams are in, in that envious situation where they're a little bit about the past, too, because they got their Lombardi trophy. And that's they do point. have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback and a coach who has done it. And honestly, Kansas City, know, too. Kansas City is more if, about the past. Larry, I don't know if there is a team that would make the Niners more uncomfortable showing up for the divisional than the Los Angeles Rams. Um, that is going to be a, a huge hurdle in front of this franchise if that's indeed the the matchup that is served to them. And it is one of the great football weekends out there. I mean, it's wild card weekend. And like you said, no pressure yet building up on any Niners fans. You just sit back, you watch, and you watch the league come to you. Let's see who is going to show up at Levi Stadium two Sundays from now. Um, or, or what? I guess that game could be on a Saturday. We'll find out when it's all said and done. But it's um, it, it look it it's a tremendous amount of pressure, and it's earned, it's right. I think they're ready for it. And then just the 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 pressure on Kyle alone, as you and I have discussed a couple of times here, the arc of the conversation around that man would change so dramatically. You know, Kyle has you know, reluctant respect of most of the NFL where it would turn from reluctant respect into overwhelming adulation for Kyle Shanahan if he were to get this accomplished this year and put a Lombardi trophy on the shelf. The personal accomplishment, the professional accomplishment, whether or not his dad was or wasn't a head coach doesn't even matter. Like, this is his chosen profession. Then you compound that with the fact that it's the family business and it was his dad's profession. And it's basically Shanahan and son or Shanahan and father in this case, putting together game plans for the 49ers, becoming a champion at the highest level of competition in the world is again, about as hard as anything to do in the world. It really is winning a professional championship is you know, as difficult as starting a business and taking it public. I mean, it is a monster accomplishment. We look at all of these well-funded, deep-pocketed teams, and if throwing money at a problem is all it took, 
all the rich teams would always win every year and there'd be nothing to talk about. You never know where the beaten is coming from in this league. That's what makes it magical. That's why 94 of the top 100 watch television shows are football games because there's drama. Nothing's guaranteed. No matter how good you are, no matter how prepared you might be, anything could go wrong and equal instant catastrophe a la last year's NFC title game. Yeah. Right when you think you're sitting pretty, it ends horrifically and painfully. And hopefully the Niners have paid enough penance and will have the opportunity to actually be dancing at the end of the season instead of being sitting in the locker room going, what the fuck happened again? Because no one wants to feel that. Again, no. no one wants to feel that again. Well, and you know they they have all the momentum in all three phases. You know they've got a, a good enough special teams with a punter that can pin you inside your twenty, and they got a good off, really good offense with a lot of weapons. They got the right quarterback who wants it and is is going to you know this whole idea of rest versus rust on Brock Purdy. There's no rest for Brock Purdy. He's taking mental reps. He's all in. I mean, that, that's kind of why Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, was so frustrating for Kyle Shanahan is that Jimmy Garoppolo was not all in. I mean, his greatest, I mean, he, I think he, football was what he did. It isn't who he is. I mean, I think Brock Purdy is much more wed to being a player, even though he's got balance in his life with his faith and his family and, and that kind of thing. He's got it in perspective, but this, he, he's, he's driven. You can tell he's driven. Right. And he's you not know, laying he's, around on the couch, Damon. This guy's the, grinded. He's the younger guy, but he's the more mature person than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not accusing Jimmy of being immature, but I think Jimmy wants to taste that life, live the spoils, give me a Ferrari, give me a porn star. Let's have a little fun. And I, look, I, I'm I'm not looking down my nose at that. Like, you know, God, God bless Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, I mean, it's like Jimmy. Done. We understand. Right. <laughs> we understand. We understand. But Brock Purdy, you're right. He's Brock Purdy is a young man and an old soul. Yes. And that's and that's really who he is. Perfect way to um, say. Um, and he's a driven guy. Um, and the one thing I love about the Brock Purdy, I don't know if you heard Schlereth on his podcast talk a little bit about how he, you know, Brock Purdy said to him, Hey, look, man, if you're if you think that, you know, I'm a game manager you either aren't watching or don't know what you're watching, but the best line and the key line and one that I've heard him say three, four or five times already this year is we'll see when it's all said and done. And when he references that, like every time I picture him holding the Lombardi cap backwards, uh, you know, on the stage, like Tom Brady after his first Super Bowl, saying, how about this MFers? You know what I mean? And, um, and I and I I think you got to picture that moment, and I think deep down he really has. He won't talk about it, but he's picturing that. And um, you know what? Bring it on! I, I I feel really really good about their chances. And uh, and then defensively, you know the 49ers, they've had better defenses than this, but man, they're pretty good on all three right. phases, and they're good rested. Enough. It's good enough, you know, like the, like the arm strength. How, how how? What about Brock's arm strength? It's good enough. The way that this defense is good enough. They're they're not the most dominant defense we've ever seen. They're not the most dominant defense in Niners history. But buttressed by an offense that is crisper than any Niners offense we've seen under Shanahan, they're, they're enough. They're enough to get it done. And Steve Wilkes is good enough to get it done. Um, and we all know offensively what this did. I, what I couldn't believe is you just said they're ready to go in all three phases, and then you started with special teams. And, of course, Wisnowski's had a, a great year as a punter. Um, but kick return and obviously the Jake Moody panic attack that everybody had after the Rams game. Let me put a little perspective on this for not you, Larry, but anyone watching here. This was a message that I had sent to me. I have not researched this. So let's just assume that th there's some. Th this is true. This is from SRE94. I want to credit who wrote this to me in one of the comments, and I actually screenshotted it. The 49ers have made seven Super Bowls. Moody has a better percentage this year than any other kicker did for them in those years. To my knowledge, they've only had one postseason game in their history that came down to a game winner. So 
you know, if this guy was awful all year, it would be a different conversation. But Jake Moody, as much as he has disappointed Niners fans a couple of times, has had any way you want to measure it, a pretty good year kicking a football. So there's that. And then he goes on and wraps up, said this whole pining for Robbie Gold thing. Like, do we fully understand this, this story on why he's not here? Did he ask for an insane amount of money? And that led to the fact that he's not here. So kind of screw Robbie Gold if he did that. Also, you know, if he did try out with the Giants, why didn't they sign him? Right. If he still Mr. Rolls out of bed, impossible to miss a field goal. Johnny Automatic. How come Johnny Automatic didn't get picked up after a tryout against Scrubinos? You know, and I think that that's realistic too. And he hasn't been in a football locker room all year. So, you know, as we said, well, there's an answer to that question. I mean, your kicker's on the team, and and you're not going to see another guy kicking for the Niners this year. The the answer is that his um, average sa- the, the salary for Jake Moody this year is one point three million, and um, Robbie was making four point one and probably wanted five. To me, the answer is Javon Hargrave. As soon as there was the commitment to go get Javon Hargrave, money had to be cut, and that was one of the areas that it was deemed um, that it could be cut. And so I think that they they said, you know what, and they made the sizable investment of a third-round draft choice in the kid. And I've talked to him a bunch of times, and he's a grounded, solid kid. But let's also not not you know pretend that uh, they've leaned on him this year. They haven't leaned on him this year. He's only made, I think, two kicks all year beyond 50. Uh, he's already cost them two games. Right, including and, the franchise record, right? Well, I mean, the percentage is nice, but they're like 29th in the league in field goals made or field goals attempted. So they, they, the reality is is that Brock Purdy's dominance in, within the red zone has made Jake Moody kind of an afterthought. If Jimmy Garoppolo were still the quarterback, crapping out in the red zone, two out of every three times or at least a third of the time or whatever the percentage was. Um, you know what? Jake Moody would have been leaned on more often and we would have a more defined picture of his success pattern or failure pattern. But all I would say for the Niners is you mentioned two areas of question, kickoff return, put, uh, you know, return game and the kicker. Well, the Niners don't really have a return game problem in the playoffs. They can put Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk back there and say, you know what? Oh, you guys mentioned it was a problem. It's now a strength. So, um, and they probably will in the biggest games, and they probably should. I, Debo Samuel returning kicks is is fine by me, and yep. Brandon Ayuk returning punts is fine by me. And if they don't feel the need to put those guys back there to avoid hits, put Juice back there. Juice uh, check can can do it, and he's dependable. You just want to make sure you got somebody who's not going to cough up the ball. Right. Everything else is secondary. Look, if you want to put an athlete back there that you trust to make a play, do that. If you just want to fair catch the ball, do that. If you want to put 11 on the line of scrimmage and just sell out for the block and let that punt die wherever it dies on the football field, do that. It just cannot be a turnover. That's right. it. it that, the Don't punt, lose it. Don't lose the game right. on special teams. The punt cannot work against you in this postseason at any point in time. You know, a a, a turnover, if a turnover means a lot in the regular season, it means twice as much in the postseason. Um, Possessions are rare. Like you said, you're lucky if you got 12 in a football game. If you get 12 possessions, you were scoring quickly or that other team was going three and out an awful lot, and you're kicking ass that day. So expect it to be like more like eight to 10 possessions, and you just cannot cough one of those up against a good football team, and there's nothing but good football teams left in the frame. Um, a couple of topics that people are certainly talking about, Larry, as we slip into wildcard weekend is that we've got a paywall. For the very first time. And it's like they're not joking around. You know, NBC wants you to pick up uh, Peacock so badly that they put the Kansas City Chiefs and Miami Dolphins. What I think had, you know, game of the weekend type of billing to put on it. They, they they sold that to Peacock for, I believe, like $110 million. And then Peacock, who's already made the purchase, gets Taylor Swift for free, you know? And and say what you want. We're not ripping her at all. When Taylor Swift, it, if, just to use simple numbers, if 10 people were going to watch today's game, 
the minute you put Taylor Swift sitting in a press box, 13 people will now be watching today's game. You know, she adds a significant percentage of audience just by being Taylor Swift in a location. And that is going on Peacock. Get a life, by the way. I mean, my God, get a life. Hey, who cares who's sitting in the stands? I mean, seriously, you got to seriously check yourself. If you're going to sit down for four hours to watch a football game because somebody in the stands is famous. Larry, 14-year-old girls show up by the millions. Is she performing at halftime? No, but she'll do And what the hell are we talking about? What's she wearing? What kind of earrings does she have in? Is she wearing a bedazzled jersey? Let's look at Brittany Mahomes sitting next to her. I mean, it's just, it's the gossip column. Coming to an NFL stadium, so uh, then I'm glad Peacock chose that game. By the way, then I'm glad, and well, she and, and believe me, she's not going to be wearing anything other than layers because it's going to be two degrees. It is going to be freezing at Arrowhead Stadium, Miami Dolphins. You blew it by not getting that home game. Um, but look, the fact that this is going behind a paywall is just a sign of the times that we're living in. And uh, Larry, before. Would you say today's your 54th birthday? How about 54th. this? Before your 74th birthday, in the next 20 years, the Super Bowl is going behind a paywall. The Super Bowl is going to be a pay-per-view event. If Logan Paul can get a million and a half pay-per-view buys, what do you think the Super Bowl could do? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a huge mistake. I really do, because I think you want to have the biggest possible audience for your, the for your marquee game. But, but the NFL is, this is the wrong the place to money grab. Hold on. But this is the, but the NFL has already made the choice. They will take the bigger payday, even if it includes a smaller audience. That's well, they're wrong. Then they're stupid but because the NFL now, yeah, what's that? prime win one because they, yeah, but, they but, know but that think about it this way watching, but they don't care because they got a, an amount of money that is Brink's truck backing up. No, I know, but there's more to it. It's about it's about cultivating a fan base in this overall entertainment pie. And there's a reason that the Niners pack the house on the road because they're an iconic franchise. They're why they're an iconic franchise because they've been good for years. Right, because we all same thing about, the, about the Steelers, and the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean it's like, you know, it's you have to fall in you gotta let people fall in love before you can tell them that you know there's a there's a tax on it. You know, that you, if you try to tax people as they're on their way in the door and they're not in love with it, they just stop coming through the door. Let pe you gotta you gotta give them a little bit of the little bit of the treats and let them get addicted. I mean, I can remember if you tell me, you said to me, when did you fall in love with the NFL? I can think of two games distinctly distinctly it was the raiders and the vikings in super bowl 11 and it was cowboys and steelers in super bowl 13 i was 11 i was 13 or no i was uh no i was nine and i was i was 11 and um or no i guess it was i yeah, no i guess i was i was must be even younger than that i was probably seven and then nine so that's really when it when i first got a chance to watch you know, the, the pomp and circumstance of Super Bowl Sunday. And I can remember the, the I mean, there's been so many games, but I can remember the Raiders beating the Vikings on that super bright day and Sammy White getting destroyed by Jack by uh, by uh, Jack Tatum in the middle of the field. And I can remember Cowboy Steelers 35, 31 and Staubach and Bradshaw and, you know, all that all that back and forth, one of the greatest Super Bowl games ever. And to me, I was hooked at that point. And I think that's what you got to do is you, when you're sport, and this is where baseball's got a major problem. They don't resonate with the seven, eight, nine-year-old. That's when you decide if you're a fan or not. And um, baseball doesn't resonate. And, and it, no, the seven, eight, nine-year-olds not, doesn't really care about baseball. Right. But and that's but, why baseball is dying. But the deal is, though, Larry, the seven, eight, nine year old on Super Bowl Sunday isn't picking what's on TV. The adult in the room is picking what's on TV and the adult in the room will pay for the Super Bowl paywall to get the Super Bowl and the kid will watch it anyway. You know, the kid won't know that it was an extra nineteen ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine, whatever they're going to charge. Like if you want to. What about the poor kid? 
What about the poor family? Do you, you don't want to price NFL, people wait, wait, out. Wait, you want to do you think the NFL cares about the poor? Well, I mean, they, they all, should. They should all, because no, as as should, as time goes on, don't. if you really want to be if you really want to be front and center in the world, you've got to, you know, rich and poor alike have got to be into it. And uh when you make it just a rich man's game, I mean that's what baseball's done. Baseball's priced out the the kid from the inner city. So guess what happens? The kid who loved baseball and now knows that travel ball is going to cost two grand and mom and dad don't have two grand. They just go, it's okay, mom and dad. I love you anyway. I'll just take my basketball and I'll go shoot at the hoop on the corner. And now I'm a big, big basketball fan. And that's how, you know, why do you think soccer and basketball have grown on a global stage? So, so exponentially in recent years compared to some of these other sports, it's because it's, you know, it doesn't take anything. It's right. just, it's just a ball, just a, you know, I mean, heck, in, in foreign countries, they're shooting on a on a milk crate tied to a wooden board um, in the in a, in a dirt field, you know, and they're calling that a basket. So it's just I, all I'm saying is I know you're totally right as far as it's going to be. That's where we're headed. I mean, there's no doubt that's where we're headed is the pay-per-view. Um, but if you, as soon as you make a pay-per-view, pe- there will be people that have to make decisions on are they going to pay? Things that we think are permanent and forever change. We're watching it in the media. It happens rapidly. I mean, you need so many different streaming services just to watch your favorite team all year long. They should put all those streaming services together in one bundle and just call it cable. You know, I mean, you need so much of it these days. Um, and older people struggle with it, by the way. And my yeah. my dad was a huge baseball fan. He's no longer with us, but I used to. He would call um, like on a Friday night. Hey, where's the Giants game? It's not on. I'm like, Dad, it's it's on, you know, whatever, Apple, Amazon, whatever. Apple, or whatever. It's Friday night. Oh, how do I do that? Here, get your mother in here. Here, talk her through it. You know, it's like now I'm like, you know, trying to land a plane virtually or something, you know, uh, because he, they couldn't figure it out. So uh, to me, it should be like in addition to, but I understand why they make it, you know, exclusive. They're trying uh, to drive the audience to it. I, I um, don't know. I cannot confirm whether or not we've got a little breaking news. I just went to the front page of ESPN to find out if it was. It's not there yet. But we have several different members in our chat. If it's one or two people, Larry, maybe it's just conversation or a wish. If it's several people, maybe it's actually happening. Um, Adam Peters to Washington is something that I've seen four or five or six different times from different people in our chat who are not here to just goof. Yes, it's, it's, no, it's, it's accurate. Um, you can go to profootballrumors.com. The Washington is hiring Adam Peters as general manager. Again, according to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, Peters will likely take the title of president of football operations. Um, this is the Bob Myers dream. Bob Myers did not, Go, you know, Bob, say what's next for Bob Myers? Everybody was wondering that he could do anything he wants. He wants to be a billionaire, I'm sure, and he at least wants to be on his way to being a billionaire. So he goes to a dormant. I mean, what were the Warriors? The Warriors were a dormant, somewhat iconic franchise, even though I'm sure people would argue that. But the Commanders, who used to be the Redskins, were an iconic franchise with Jack Kent Cook and Bobby Beathard and Joe Gibbs, Dan Snyder ruined that and so bob myers was hired with one goal it's one of the great brand ruinings of our lifetimes no doubt and and a rapid one at that um and while the nfl has grown up in in you know around it um they still are not in the same status so myers was brought in to rebuild the iconic brand known as the redskins now the commanders and so he's going to do the game plan of Hire Adam Peters, let Peters hire a head coach, have success on the field, get the fans back. Then, because you got the fans back, get a new stadium, move out of FedEx Field, and turn that franchise, you know, increase the value of that franchise by $2 billion. And if you're Bob Myers, maybe keep half a billion, you know, I mean, um, and that's, I think that's clearly the plan. Do you think? It's a big loss. Okay, okay, so it, it is a big loss for the Niners. Let's look at this from a an Adam Peters is now calling the shots for the commanders. I mean, there are there are two phone calls that you have to make first, right? 
The first is to Bill Belichick. The second is to Jim Harbaugh. Right. Um, I mean, you know, it's it, it really depends on, um, um, you know, what they're looking for. Um, you know, I was looking at the odds as far as, you know, um, our good buddy Jimmy Shapiro puts out odds on all this stuff, and he yep. has sent me the odds on the coaches yesterday, and I have it here, and I can tell you who the favorite was. The commander's head coach, um, it's two-to-one odds that it's Ben Johnson, the OC of the Lions. Then Belichick at three-to-one, Harbaugh at six-to-one, Mike McDonald at nine-to-one. So I'll say this. I'll, let me throw another name in there. Um, I think there's a very good chance that that uh, Peters brings Slowick, who was, you know, Bobby Slowick, who's thought to be a little bit of a star in his own right um, in the head coaching circles. And obviously, Peters knows him from San Francisco before he jumped to, uh, you know, jumped away in um, Slowick was with what, Tennessee? Who's who did Slowick jump to? I'm, for, I'm forgetting. I'm. I'm. I'm was I, it Tennessee? Because no, if it was Tennessee, it was, it was maybe not. he got ousted with Vrabel. No, I'll look it up. But I, Bobby Slowick. If anybody knows where Bobby Slowick jumped to last year, I'm just. Uh, let me check. But yeah, so I I think Bobby Slowick could be a name. Um, Texas. Yeah, Houston. Houston. Yeah, he went to. Yeah, Houston. that's right. He, he, he that makes sense. He went with D'Amico. D'Amico. That's right. That's right. And look at the year. I mean, look at the uh, the incredible year that they had um, and the incredible year that C.J. Stroud had. And, you know, the Niners offense is one that lots of people want to copy and they believe, you know, is, you know, what will work. So I could see Slowick being there. I can't really see Belichick and Harbaugh. I don't know about Harbaugh, but um, I think, you know, Ben Johnson is going to be a hot name. Um, I would see it's probably between Slowick and, and Ben Johnson um, to be the next coach. And and uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed in this one. But, I mean, the 49ers, when they gave uh, John Lynch a promotion and a new title, they didn't give uh, Adam Peters um, a promotion and a new title. And maybe the handwriting was on the wall at that point. But I thought it was a kind of a foregone conclusion when Rand Carthon left last year that, you know, that Lynch was going to be the guy, at least on the short term, and that um, that Peters was the heir apparent. And that's why Rand was jumping. Um, and instead, Peters jumps as well. So this is a real loss. I mean, the, you know, Adam Peters is the one guy that really has, um, you know, the, the personnel chops. You know, John's a former safety and, and a TV guy. He's a player. Um, you know, he's obviously knows a lot of personnel, but and then they have other people within their system um, that are com that are growing up and doing well. But, you know, maybe the Niners yeah. will fill that internally, but that's a major loss. You got to get the personnel part right. And nobody's perfect. You know, if Adam Peters had a big hand in let's pick Trey Lance, then, you know, good riddance. Right. You know, I'm mean, I, I, not not good riddance. Obviously, he's very good at what he does, but nobody's perfect. Uh, when it comes to putting a, a roster together or draft picks or anything like that, but the decisions more often than not under his tenure have been, have been good decisions, especially so, day three of the draft and especially after the draft. So we'll yeah. see, if, you know, we'll chart this going forward to see how things go, but um, there's some other people um, well, in the 49er the organization that they, that are highly thought of beyond behind Lynch and, 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 and um, look, beyond Adam Peters. Uh, you know, who you can't have because he just left. The 49ers are very much a, would you like to come work for us? A lot of people are standing in that line organization. So uh, if they do expand this search outside of their own organization, uh, I'm sure that they will have, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of five-star recruits in the player personnel department um, who would be interested in coming and working for what I think everyone regards as really well-run franchise, you know, the four, the 49ers for, Oh, I don't know. You know, that window between okay, we, we should, one thing, to, we, to, one thing, yeah. Damon, not to interrupt you, but Steve Cass has stopped the BS. The report is the commanders are working on making Peters, the GM 
The Niners can still sway him if Jed is willing to pay and give him the title. It's not a done deal yet. Let me just read to you the way it's worded here, and you guys can decide for itself. Yourself. Okay. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is noting that Peters will likely take likely. on the title of president of football operations. But Schefter's report says Washington is hiring Adam Peters as general manager. So I got to think that um, that he's going to do it. But you're right, the 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 uh, Steve, you're right in that the Niners could – there is no salary cap for what you pay executives. So if the Niners, I mean, the guy's from Cupertino. He left the Broncos to come to the Niners because he wanted to be in the Bay Area. Uh, if the Niners, if Lynch said, hey, you know what? I'm, I, I'm, I want to win a title and ride off into the sunset within the next three years. The Niners could pay Peters whatever he, they want to retain him and give him whatever title they want. And, and you know, but ultimately it's about running your own show. And I think that's probably I don't I can't believe that Bob Myers, you know, is as much as he's been spotted at Niner games. They both went to UCLA. Um, I got to think that there's this is not like, oh, they just discussed this this week. They've been planning on this and talking about this. And and if Peters wasn't going down this road, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a huge leverage play to get Jed to pay him more. But, um, you know, I. I, maybe Lynch is wants. Maybe John Lynch has said that he wants to be, you know, uh, here longer, longer than um, than I believe. You know, maybe John Lynch is loving this job and wants to be here for the next decade. I don't know. And if that's the case, Peters probably should jump. And look, Steve, Steve Cass, thank you very, very much for the uh, tr trying to clarify what happens. It's still, again, this is all breaking news. Neither Larry nor I have a producer trying to get us the right article here. We're just looking for it. And we thank everyone for helping us out. We want to get the story right. It is a group effort over here on YouTube. When you take, can you take Steve down now, Larry? We don't, we don't Steve yelling at us at the entire show. Yeah. I, I love Steve. Thank you, Steve. Um, Look, I will replace it with a super chat. Ricky Williams says we lost Adam to the commanders. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you, Ricky. Um, I wonder if that's the Ricky Williams. And if it is, that brings me to my next uh, perfect transition here, Larry. Uh, who's your weed guy? Because I need your weed guy because you were Steven Seaweed. Steven he, Seaweed. Steven Seaweed. Love one of the great DJs ever. The weed, he was he wasn't my weed guy. He was the weed man. The weed man. The weed um, man. Larry, how high were you when you were like, you know, if the Niners don't get it done this year, they should call Bill Belichick and see if he wants to be the defensive coordinator. Are you out of your mind? No, no. I mean, first of all, everybody just immediately is and I get it. You know, you say things and people are like, dude, that's a terrible take. Well, we don't know what Belichick. We don't know what Belichick wants to do. Um, the assumption is, is that he wants that record that Don Shula has. But you know what, Damon? I'm not convinced that that's the case at all. I, I and and. The people that I've talked to, and I've talked to multiple uh, national people around the league who know what's going on, said that Bill's not going to coach again, and that Bill's not going to be a GM, that Bill's going to be kind of a defensive consultant, um, and that he's done with the coaching gig. I mean, you got we're talking about a 73-year-old man. Now, I, I know there's a lot of young football fans, so they don't know their football history, but Bill Walsh coach Stanford after he won three Super Bowls. Sid Gilman was a great, you know, he's like the father of the forward pass. This guy was a star coach in the 50s with the Rams and the 60s with the Chargers. He was the Eagles quarterback coach in 1981. That's a major step down. Heck, I was just at Niners Ravens on Christmas night. I bumped into Ozzie Newsome. I shook hands with him, said, hey, how you doing, Ozzie? Ozzie is not retired. Ozzie has kicked himself into a football consultant role. Eric DaCosta is the new GM in Baltimore. All I'm saying is for the very, very best, for the very, very most respected football people, they can do lesser roles in their in the twilight, especially we're talking about a guy who's coached 50 years, who's almost 70, mid-70s. Um, the assumption that Bill Belichick's going to be a coach, I think is like, you know, it could happen. 
but and and this idea that he could just have his pick of jobs, I don't think so, man. And the the ones that are rumored to be headed, he could be headed to are places like Atlanta and Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, does he? What does Bill Belichick really want? If he wants a fat check, go to Carolina. David Tepper will cut him a big check. But I get the feeling that he wants to get back to his roots, and he says he loves coaching, and I think that's what he wants to do. He's a defensive coach. He's a defensive backfield coach. And think about it this way. He's really tight with Kyle Shanahan. He's really tight with John Lynch. He likes those guys. That's why. That's how Jimmy Garoppolo got here for a second-round pick way back when. So all I'm saying is if Bill Belichick just wants to be a defensive czar, if you're the Niners, let's just say you fall short here, um, the, the, what's the pivot? I mean, you're, Shanahan's not going to blame himself. He's going to blame the defense, and Steve Wilkes could move on, and they could promote somebody like Daniel Bullocks to defensive coordinator who's pretty young, and they could pay a Bill Belichick big money to be their defensive replacement czar. Now, he's not going to be some grinder, but um, don't look at it as um, as a demotion. It wouldn't be a demotion. It would be like he's working with an you know to, with an offensive guru as the defensive guru to lead the next defensive coordinator. I know it sounds crazy now, um, and I know it's not. People are thinking, oh, he's going to lead his own ship. He's Bill Belichick. But Walsh did it. Uh, Sid Gilman did it. Ozzie Newsom did it. Belichick could do it. It's just, probably not going to happen, but I mean, where, where if you're Bill Belichick, would you rather? I mean, think about it this way: you also got to think about legacy. What if he goes to Carolina and they don't win anything? Now his legacy somewhat is tarnished. Yeah, he was done at the end; he couldn't get it done. What if he goes to Atlanta and they fail? He's already had this failure with New England. So Bill Belichick, the general manager, let down Bill Belichick, the head coach. Bill Belichick's defense, though, is still outstanding. And if you look at the 49ers, what do they have? They've got five or six young DBs that really could use a Bill Belichick. I, th I think I saw an incredible stat that over his 24-year career as head coach, they allowed 1.2 points per opponent drive, which is still like the best. Is the best certainly over a 24-year run. I mean, he is a, a spectacular X's and O's teacher of the game coach. But at his yeah, core, I, he's the best. He's the best defensive back. His expertise was always in defensive backfield secondary play. play. Absolutely, yeah, he's he's right there with George Seifert and Bud Carson as like the greatest DB coaches of all time. Yeah, and if and the Niners did for Nick years Hayden and years and years list, employ, the they employed some older guys. I mean, Bill McPherson was coaching in his mid seventies. Now, was he the DC? No, Ray Rhodes was. Um, but he was a defensive consultant and, um, I could see, and you could pay Belichick anything you want, by the way. Right. So like if, if you're Bill Belichick, would you rather go fail in, um, he's got, you know, the guy's already got eight Super Bowl rings, six as a head coach, two as a defensive coach with the giants under Parcells. He loved what he truly loves at his core is coaching and coaching DBs. And I'm not saying he's going to be the Niner DB coach. He, and I don't even think he'd be necessarily the coordinator, but I could think they could pay him a fat amount of money to be a defensive consultant. And um, I could see it now. A lot of people can't see it. We'll see how it goes. It's it's um, thinking. I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream when a man yeah, is probably a, handful, is. a handful of wins away from being the all time winningest head coach. I don't think he's looking to be anything other than a head coach. Should he leave he New England? Seem like the kind of guy that wants that record, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, he doesn't seem like he's motivated by anything because that's the, you know, the, 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 the camera facing Bill Belichick feels like he's detached, but he's, he's very attached to the game. And, you know, if you ask me, what, what do you think Nick Saban would do next? I'd tell you, well, he'll probably go like coach a high school or a pop Warner team just to be a teacher of the game in a much pressureless level. Like I could see Bill Belichick doing that or like you know, going to like, you know, he's the next head coach of Amherst College or something, you know, just something really off the radar. He, he coached lacrosse at Amherst. You're right. No, I, I think, I, you know, for I, I think it's a I think it's a massive pipe dream to think that he will show up to fix a Niner defense. Should that let it down? I'd, I just don't think he's anything other than a head coach at this point in his 
in his life cycle and he's got one more coaching cycle in him. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to carry anybody's bags. He wants to run the show. We'll see. We'll see. And, but you got to remember this, if the Niners fall short, there's going to be a ton of pressure to do something of significance uh, to run it back. And it's not going to be a long-term play. It's going to be a short-term play. And Bill, there's no doubt he's the czar of defense and Shanahan's not going to blame himself. If they, if they fall short, he's going to blame the defensive shortcomings. And I think that may align, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Tariq Ahmad, the co- the director of college scouting, I think is a guy, a star within the Niners system. There's another star within the Niners system. His name's Josh Williams, and he's a national scout. He went to my high school, San Ignatius High School. Josh is a tremendous guy. I think Josh is maybe a year or two early on becoming the the new Adam Peters, but Josh would be a great candidate, and Tariq, uh, I could see being being the call. So that would be my guess as far as replacement. And Mick, Mick Malo here is right on the money. Shows how smart some of the people in our chat really are. Uh, uh, Mick's all over it. Uh, Tariq Ahmad, he says, is taking Peter's place. Uh, maybe he's got sources, but n- uh, there's no doubt that Mick is right. Tariq is in line. He's next up. He was the director of college scouting. Well, it, look, nothing lasts forever, I guess, is the the theme of this segment, right? And I guess that has to bring us to an in-division rival that is making a massive change. I didn't think that Pete Carroll was going to be stepping aside or being asked to step aside as apparently kind of what happened up in Seattle. I thought that uh, their season was pretty good considering all the moving parts around their season and injury to their starting quarterback. You know, they were in, in Drew Locke time there, and I thought that they had some decent success with Drew Locke going in for Geno. I thought that the Seahawks were were good. Like, they weren't bad. And I'm surprised that the just it, it's amazing to say Pete Carroll's a 70 year old man. He looks so good still. He's just got that California boyish, you know, presentation about him. But Pete he went Carroll, to Redwood High School. He's a yeah. Marin guy from Larkspur or Pete from, Ca- um, you know, Marini Redwood's in Larkspur. Pete Carroll's gone. I mean, it, in the same week where Bill Belichick and Nick Saban exit. And you can't find bigger football exits than that. It feels like Pete Carroll got a little short shrift in terms of any sort of waxing poetic about who he's been, what he's meant, not just to Seattle, but to the sport of football in its entirety, going back to his head coaching days at USC, the rising like a phoenix from the disaster that was the New England Patriots head coach for a minute, who was the New York Jets head coach for a minute. I mean, Pete Carroll, when he got to USC, was an NFL laughingstock. And for him to have come back from USC, he exited right at the right time, right when the right when the sirens were getting there to, you know, throw USC into college football's, you know, temporary jail. Um he shows up in Seattle. A lot of eye rolling was attached to, oh, you know, Pete might have been good at USC, but back in the NFL, he's going to get embarrassed again. Well, he embarrassed more teams than he was embarrassed. He and Russell Wilson together were one of the all-time thorns in the side of the San Francisco 49ers and presiding over the Legion of Boom. You know, he had an era. He might have only had one Super Bowl, but for an era there, the Seahawks you know, were the the best-looking, best-dressed girl in the high school. They were a monster. They really were. So, you know, all you can do is say cheers to, to Pete Carroll, who was a hell of an opponent. I mean, he that guy gave the Niners everything they wanted and then some. He started as a GA at UOP in 1973. I was three years old. Um, he's been doing it forever. Um, I mean, what can you say? It isn't an amazing if you look at it. I don't know if I would agree with your laughing stock because uh, the Niners. He was a respected defensive coordinator with the Niners in the in the mid nineties, but he hadn't been. It's amazing that he had not been successful as an NFL head coach. He, he had that good assistant, not a head guy. Can't you know he he was he, thought to be too nice. He was thought to be too boy, nice. Not a leader of men is one thing I heard attached to him, and that's why he'll have success maybe in college because those are the boys. But when he gets in front of men. No, it's not going to happen. Well, it happened. 
<laughs> and he picked the right general manager, uh, John Schneider, and those two guys were locked at the hip. And, yeah, I mean, Pete's two most successful runs were USC's head coach. He totally rejuvenated that entire program. Um, and then and then what he did in Seattle. And he should have won two rings. He only won one. We all know how it happened. But this guy's a Hall of Famer, man. He's, a, he's won a national championship on the college level. He's won a Super Bowl on the pro level. He's been the coach of the year. He won the Pac-12 seven times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, incredible record. Um, 170 and 120 and one as a head coach in the NFL. Only 500 in the playoffs, 11 and 11. 83 and 19 in college, won 81% of his games. And all I would say is this is the right time. And, you know, some of these guys are such lifers that they almost have to have somebody kick them to the next stage of their of their life. You're 72 years old. You know, unless you know something I don't know, you don't got a lot of time left. And, um, you know, he probably... I mean, whatever you made a lot of money, you've been, you know, football out football hours are long and arduous. And I realize it's your chosen profession and this is what you love to do. And I get it, but, um, you know, uh, you're talking about, you're talking about go do something else. I mean, you know, you have, he's got a wife, he's got three children, he's probably got some grandchildren, go enjoy them. You're 72 travel, the travel the globe. Do some philanthropic things. Do do whatever. Do whatever your second interest is. But I will say this too: he also had a great coaching tree. When you really look at it, um, he worked under some amazing coaches: George Seifert, uh, Jerry Burns, Bud Grant, Kay Stevenson, who I worked for in the Canadian League, uh, Monty Kiffin, Lou Holtz. But he also fifteen of his assistants became NFL or NCAA. Head coaches, guys like Ed Orgeron, Lane Kiffin, Bo Pelini, Sarkeesian, Norm Chow, Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, Robert Sala. Um, and a lot of his um, guys who worked with him became executives, became GMs in the NFL. Charlie Army, Jason Licht, who's now in Tampa, Scott McLuhan, uh, Chris Greer, Scott Fitterer, who just got dumped by the Panthers. So, He's had a pretty good, you know, not pretty good. He's had a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame coaching career. He's a great guy. He's a positive guy and, um, and a I, Bay Area I, son. And I, I wish him well. And yeah, and he's going to stay in Seattle as a consultant. That's the thing. And he's not he's not leaving like this guy isn't in line for another head coaching job. I think he's reached that point in his life where he is like, all right, I'm 70 and I, I look, I think that the plan was they're going to go Dan Quinn here, I think. Yeah, I think the, the plan was he was going to come back. But then, you know, you sleep on it for a night or two. You talk, you realize, do I really want to do another year? Do I want to commit? And he's like, you know, I, I want to stay around football, but maybe not as the head coach of the Seahawks. So he's going to get kicked upstairs and be given what a golden parachute, but still be involved, I'm sure, in some way. Still going to go through a at least a you know a stick of gum every 15 minutes Pete can't give that up um but look a a truly worthy opponent like that's what made the Seahawks and the 49ers such a great rivalry because they were worthy opponents against each other even when the Niners were getting their their ears boxed in by the Seahawks they were still pretty damn good you know so it was um it was he's just he's he's one of those he was the he was the bad guy, but he was a pretty good guy for being a bad guy. So, uh, what's your deal? Yeah. Well, <laughs> him and Harbaugh. What's so, your deal? That was great. Cheers, yeah. Now Pete's, yeah. Pete's, cheers uh, to Pete Carroll. Cheers to Pete Carroll. Yeah. Cheers to Pete Carroll and, um, good guy. And, um, you know, I, I wish him well. I do believe Dan Quinn will take over that job in Seattle. They'll have continuity with, with their defense. Cause you know, Quinn will come in and, and run that same scheme. John Schneider is still a, a very young man in the GM circles. And let's be honest, uh, um, you know, Schneider's done a really nice job at restocking the cupboard. I mean, they had a lot of good young pieces, a lot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and, and they looked like they were going to be on the outs for a while. And he gets Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas in one draft. 
Then he gets Devin Witherspoon and, and Tariq Woolen, and they signed Julian Love, who's a tremendous player. It's like they rebuilt their secondary. They're, they, you know, they're close to having the Legion of Boom back there. They're not quite um, what they want to be up front, and they obviously need their quarterback of the future, and maybe it's Michael Penix. Who knows? Maybe it's Bo Nix. My guess is it's one of those two guys. There's two quarterbacks in this draft, both coming out of the Pacific Northwest, and I think Seattle's going to wind up getting one of them. The longest tenured NFL head coach now is Mike Tomlin. 17 seasons with the Steelers, never a losing season. He is in yet another postseason, although I don't think you or I are going to be picking the Steelers over the Bills. Followed by John Harbaugh, who's at 16 seasons now. Andy Reid has been with the Chiefs for 11 seasons. And then... Sean McDermott, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay have all been in their head coaching spots now. This is season number seven for all of them that just passed. Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur are both in there, just completed their fifth seasons with uh, Cincinnati and Green Bay, respectively. Um, so it, it's it's amazing how that turn just keeps on going. The NFL stops for no one, waits for nothing, and we keep on going. We keep on going. But Mike Tomlin, now the longest tenured NFL head coach, now that Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll have left. We have to say something about Nick Saban. Uh, one of the single most dominant programs of our lifetime in the sport of football has closed the curtain on, on an era here with Nick Saban's retirement. And Larry, you know, there, there are certain sports stats that when you hear them, you're just like, wow. Uh, maybe the single greatest stat I've ever heard attached to a player in my lifetime. Any sport, like what's the greatest stat you've ever heard, right? Tony greatest Gwynn, stat? No, yeah. but so Tony Gwynn could have gone O for a thousand in his last thousand career at bats and Tony Gwynn would have still been a 300 lifetime hitter. I remember wow. hearing that in his final season and just going, wow. I mean, and I always, Tony Gwynn was the first true opponent who I fell in love with Tony Gwynn, even though he never played for the Cubs is one of my five favorite baseball players of all time. I love, love, loved Tony Gwynn. Go down the rabbit hole of Tony Gwynn statistics. It's one of the greatest rabbit holes you can fall into if you're a baseball dork. I think I've I, I think Tony's stat has been replaced, Larry. And being a personnel guy, you, this is gonna your your nipples are about to get hard. Are you ready for the single greatest stat you've ever heard in your life? Yes. Under Nick Saban, Alabama had more players drafted in the first round, forty four. Then he had losses, 29. More first-round draft picks than he had losses as a head coach at Alabama. That's one of the greatest holy shit stats I've ever heard in my life. There will never be anyone who does that again. Are you kidding? That's insane. It is amazing. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, and the coaching tree he's had is extensive, extensive. He was on the Don James coaching tree, uh, you know, and, and so many, so many coaches coached under him. Um, and not just, it's not just players that he developed. He developed an awful lot of coaches along the way. So the guy it's, it's funny too. It's like, figure out what you're good at and stick with it. You know, and that's what Nick did. And Nick, Nick was sub 500 as an NFL head coach, right? I mean, he's, he's 15 and 17 in the NFL, but he's 292, 71 and one in college. And he's a little, there was some dysfunction there as far as some of his communication and uh, some of the, you know, he was so strident in so many ways, but there's also a lot of, of uh, moral compass there as well. Uh, this guy's a devout Catholic. He used to go to go to uh, mass before every game and that well, kind even, of thing. And, here's the thing: even if you're not, you have to pretend to be in the South. <laughs> well, you know, but he, you know, he he is, um, you know, I, to me the the uh, 
the you know the whole Nick Saban story. I mean, he's he I, so much in recent years of his lectures to his players were about life and not football. Um, and I just think that you know he he definitely has strong feelings. You know, I did for years a couple of years um, while I was at Cambr a regular hit with Fran Tarkenton. Fran Tarkenton and Nick are buddies, and I would imagine, unlike Pete Carroll and unlike Bill Belichick. Uh, Nick Saban is just gonna, you know, hang out at the at the lake and sit there and swap stories with Fran over uh, cocktails. You know, going I think he, forward. You know what? I guarantee you, Larry, it takes about twelve months, and then he's gonna realize I'm bored. And I bet you he does. Like I, I can see Nick Saban at some Alabama high school someday. You know, like Nick Saban still coaching, but just at a much different level because he just loves the game still. Like maybe that's the road Bill Belichick travels at some point, but I do think Bill's going to have not just one more head coaching payday, but try to get that head coaching all-time win record attached to his name and then drift off to the sunset. But these guys, they're addicted to winning. They're addicted to competition. And when the winning and the competition goes away, they become impatient. You know, we, we saw the same thing happen with Bruce Bochy, right? Bruce Bochy, I think, was incredibly satisfied with a well-lived already a hall of fame career when he departed the San Francisco giants or would, you know, for whatever, however you want to say that that ended, that ended. I do think that he legitimately wanted to go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico for about a year or two. And then he was like, this is just fucking fishing in Mexico. I need to be in a dugout. And he comes back to a dugout and the man who's addicted to winning gets another world series. So how old is Boach though? Boach has got to be 67, 8, 9, yeah. right? I mean, I, I mean, Saban's 72. I mean, you know, right. come on. He's I, I, I don't know. I, I think at some point, I mean, why, why, why do all the work and accumulate all the money and all this? And, and the guy's won seven national championships. He's won Boach 11 is. SEC titles. The guy, the guy's, you know, he's a two time coach of the year. He's a, you know, I mean, the guy's, He's a five-time SEC coach of the year. I mean, I, at, the, at some point, you don't you want to enjoy something? I mean, you married the woman. Don't you want to travel the globe maybe? Don't you know you got kids, you got grandkids. Don't you want to, I don't know, maybe go to a birthday party? And sometimes I wonder about, um, you know, some of these guys. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, I understand there's only so much you can do, but I mean, You've 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 done an incredible amount. You've made an incredible amount of money. Just enjoy the twilight years and enjoy your family and good health while you have it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's how well-rounded. Considerate people would think. I just don't know how many head coaches are. Are well-rounded. I mean, they get addicted to the game, to the competition, to the winning. They really do. And I think it might trump some of their feelings of now it's time for me to be a grandpa or travel the world with my wife. I, I, that's just the way these guys are. They're not like us. They're abnormal. Yeah. Um, they, they are, they are different people. They really are. Um, the way that professional athletes have different bodies, than normal civilians, I think professional coaches have different minds and are set differently than just normal civilians. It's the way it goes. And somebody um, says, Hey, it's the thrill of it, Larry. No, I get it. I mean, they're addicted to the, to the excitement and, and, and you can't be a type a personality and, and, you know, be an incredible competitor. It's a very difficult thing to turn off, but at the end of the day, it's still what you do. It shouldn't be who you are. And, um, I don't know. I personally, it's, it's I, like in the movie heat, I'm in it for the juice, Neil. I'm in it for the juice. <laughs> yeah. It's not the payday. 